Well, hello, teachers, and welcome back to another episode of the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. My name is Caitlin Mitchell, and I am your host. In today's episode, we are going to be talking to my friend Christy from Two Peas and a Dog, all about the power in classroom libraries. Now, we're not talking about school libraries here. We're talking about classroom libraries, where the books are actually in your own classroom. So she has a lot of great information to share, a lot of great reasons why we should have classroom libraries, and also some strategies for making the best use of them. So I'm really excited for today's episode. It is fantastic. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast, where it's all things reading and writing all the time. Game-changing lessons and fresh ideas, along with a dose of inspiration, are shared to help make your teaching life just a bit easier. And now your host from the blog EB Academics, Caitlin Mitchell. Well, hello, teachers, and welcome back to another episode of the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. I am here with my friend Christy from Two Peas and a Dog. Welcome to the podcast, Christy. Thanks so much for having me today. We are so excited to talk about the power behind classroom libraries. But before we dig in, I would love for you to just tell our listeners who you are, um, what you do, who you serve, and where we can even find you on social media, your blog, things like that. Sure. So my name is Christy, and I'm a middle school teacher in Ontario, Canada. And you can find me online. I have a blog at twopeasandadog.com. And then any social media is at twopeasandadog. Fantastic. Well, that's easy to remember. And I would love to know before we actually talk about classroom libraries, how did you come up with the name for your blog? Because it's the cutest thing ever. I love it. I actually couldn't think of a name for my blog um, that had to do with middle school, but the two P's is my husband and me because he does all the computer stuff related to having a blog. And then the dog, if you follow my social media, I have a Shih Tzu and anywhere I go, she goes, except for the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wouldn't it be great if we could bring him in? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my students always saw pictures. I have two big golden retrievers. I'm sure you've seen them on Instagram. Oh, yes. um, Charlie and Huckleberry. And my kids would always be like, can't you please bring them in for a show and tell? And I would love to, but you know, legally here in California, we couldn't bring them into our school, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. So let's get into talking about classroom libraries. And I think it's important before we start and really like dig into the power behind them, Let's talk about like what a classroom library is because we're not talking about your school library, something that your kids have to, you know, go to during library time once or twice a week, however many, or none at all if you don't have library time. So talk to us about that. Like how would you define what a classroom library is? So a classroom library is a curated collection of books in your classroom that you have specifically gotten for the purpose of your students using them. And what I mean by curated is, these are not any and all books that you find maybe in the dust closets of your schools. These are actually high quality books that you want your students to read, either for a novel study or for independent reading, depending on how you structure your classroom program. Great, so it is very specific to your students, your grade level, and like your kids that you have in your class at that time. Is that correct? Exactly. So for example, I switched to seventh grade uh, two years ago after teaching eighth grade for 11 11 years. And some of the books in my classroom library would be fantastic for eighth grade. But my seventh graders, they just came from sixth grade. And I had to just put those books in storage um, until I go back and teach eighth grade again. 
Yeah. You know, I did the same thing. I taught high school for many years. So I had a high school classroom library. Then I went to middle school, seventh and eighth grade. So I had to adjust from there because definitely some of those high school books were not appropriate for seventh and eighth graders. And then I taught fifth grade for a year. And so I have all of these different boxes in my basement that say fifth grade class library books, you know, middle school class library books, and then high school class library books. Um, so yeah, you definitely need to curate them to your specific grade level and your students' needs. I agree with you on that. And then can you talk to us about like, why do we need a classroom library? If we have libraries at our school, what's the intention of having a classroom library? Because I know I have had teachers that I've worked with before that, that don't have them and refuse to put them together in their classroom. So I'd like to kind of dismantle that belief and talk about the power behind why we should be using them with our kids. So not all schools have classroom library, sorry, not all schools have school libraries. So there've been a lot of budget cuts to education over the years, no matter where you live. I keep seeing on social media and then in the real media all over the world, education is one of the things that gets cut. And the first thing that gets cut is the library. And so for a school to not have a library and students do not get access to books, you can't run a quality English language arts program. Students need access to engaging books that are written at their level so that they can engage and interact with those books on a daily basis. One of the things that I find just for classroom management, when a student's finished reading a book and they're just wandering around your classroom, and you can't send them to the library. So this year, I'm actually the school librarian at my school, but due to provincial budget cuts, um, so that's something in Ontario that's going on right now, my position went from full-time last year, so there was a full-time, not me, teacher librarian in the library, so at any period of the day, you could send students down to get a book, to now part-time, and the rule has changed that I'm not in the library when I'm actually physically scheduled, that I'm to be teaching STEM or helping with research skills um, in the library or in a classroom. So now the students at my school have to wait until their allotted schedule library time once a week. And I don't know about you, Caitlin, but I was the student that was always hiding books in my desk in elementary and middle school so that I could keep reading. Yes, even through lessons, if any of my teachers <laughs> are listening. And so, you know, we need to build a culture of readers to get kids engaged in reading. And if we don't have a book that we can recommend to those kids on the spot, we're going to lose them. Yes. And I think you touched on just so many important things there. One, in terms of behavior, right? When you have a student who's finished a book and you have, you know, maybe your independent reading time. I always did sustained silent reading the last 10 minutes of class every single day. And, you know, I had a kid who would finish with two minutes, you know, eight minutes left in class. They've just finished the end of their book. I don't want them to just sit there and do nothing. And like you're talking about, even aimlessly wander around my class or get up and go to the bathroom. And, you know, that's kind of, I want them to be using that class time effectively as an English student in my class. And so I always had every single student needed to have an independent reading book that they were reading. And I had access for my students to all of these books that I had accumulated over the years and new books that I purchased. And we can talk about that in a second about how to find great books for your classroom library. Um, but we didn't have the luxury of just sending a student to our class library and our, our, I'm sorry, our school library. And even then our school library was really just for kindergarten, first, second graders, you know, maybe up to fifth grade. And then the books kind of started to, to fall off in terms of what was appropriate for middle schoolers. And so I felt like it was really up to me 
as the eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade English teacher to be providing my students with those quality books that were going to engage them, get them excited about reading. And so I really need to, needed to have a plethora of <clears throat> genres, topics, ideas for them to choose from so that I wasn't just all, you know, I didn't just have um, like the Hunger Games on my shelf or Love and Gelato or sports books. It was the gamut of everything that I could get my hands on that I thought my kids might be interested in. And so I think that, and I hopefully this isn't something that we put in our notes, but I'd love to know your thoughts on this in terms of when I'm trying to curate my class library, I don't have time to read every single book that I put into my class library. So what do you say to a teacher who feels that way? You know, I want to incorporate all these books, but I want to make sure that they're going to be appropriate for my kids. Like, what do I do? Where do I start with that? That's a fantastic question. And I think that's what holds a lot of teachers back from having a classroom library is the fear of what's in the book. So the first thing you need to do is read the back of the book. You can tell pretty much right away when you read the back of the book, if the novel is going to have a teenage main character, it's probably going to have some spicy things in it because it's read, it's written for a teenage audience. You get to know certain publishing houses like Scholastic is a pretty great publishing house in terms of their books are great for middle schoolers. There's um, some content they usually put a mature read sticker. I know in Canada, we have something like a mature read sticker that comes to the book fair with Scholastic. So, you know, right away, this is probably a seventh or eighth grade novel. Another thing you can do is I always check common sense media. So if you have a book that, you, that you're thinking about, I just do a quick, I just pull up Common Sense Media on my phone when I'm out shopping. And if, if right away I see parents have objected to this book and I just listen and I read their um, reasons why, and if I agree with them, I'm not going to buy the book. So you can read the back cover, get to know the publishing companies, um, look for recommendations on Instagram. There's a huge teachergram community out there that's always putting out recommendations. And also open up to the first page and or a random page in the book. And if there's some language in there that you don't think is comfortable for your classroom library, for example, I don't put books that have obvious swear words in my classroom library. Teach at a public school, seventh and eighth grade, they can get those words when they go to high school. I love that. That's so true, right? Um, and commonsensemedia.org is a phenomenal resource. It has grown so much. I think when I first started using it was like seven, eight years ago, or maybe not even that long, but like right when it started to come out. So not all of the books were on there and I couldn't find everything. But now I feel like they have such a hit, like a, a, um, a what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, a huge... Oh, collection of books. Co yeah. Collection isn't the word, but yes, that, that solves the problem of the word I can't find. Yeah, they do. And you know, it's interesting. I, I read, um, the fault in our stars by John Green a long time ago. And then I picked up some of his other books to see if they would be appropriate for my eighth graders when I was working in LA. And I read looking for Alaska and looking for Alaska is very different than the fault in our stars in terms of the spiciness and the maturity level. And I remember reading it and just being like, I don't think this is really appropriate for my eighth graders to be reading. And sure enough, I saw three of the girls in my class reading the book and I just emailed their parents. Hey, I just want to let you know, I read this and this particular scene is in that book that you might want to just be aware of to have a conversation with your kids. I didn't have it in my class library, but they purchased it at the bookstore for them. And so that was when I kind of went on this crusade to tell all of my parents about commonsensemedia.org to check and make sure that the books that you're finding at the library, even, or I'm sorry, the bookstore, even if they say, you know, young adult, 
that's a young adult that might be 16, 17 year olds, not necessarily your 12 and 13 year old. Up to you as a parent to decide, but I just wanted to arm them with that knowledge, you know? I 100% agree. And I think that, um, so I don't censor my classroom library, but I look at what's appropriate for my students. And there might be students and there might be classrooms that are listening to this podcast where the hate you give might be an appropriate eighth grade book for those students. The language, and we call it the June health curriculum. So in Ontario, we always cover sex ed in June, usually. And so the books that have spicy scenes in them, you know, I don't put in my classroom library because, you know, that's just not something I'm comfortable with. But some other teacher might be really comfortable with that, having the hate you give in a grade seven and eight classroom library. And so, you know, I just want to say to teachers that whatever you decide to put in your classroom library, you have curated that collection and you can make the rules like I do and like Caitlin has for the classroom library. Yes, you do what works for you as with everything. You know, what works for one teacher might not necessarily work for another teacher. And so you just always have to know your students, know, you know, your community and and what is going to work appropriately for that particular particular location where you are. Um, a perfect example, the hate you give would be totally fine in my eighth grade classroom, you know? So just two eighth grade teachers, just mm-hmm. two different places in the, in the world. And it just depends on, on your classroom and your community. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with what you decide to do, but just knowing your kids is key. Um, so then let's go into the next part that I think is another daunting part for teachers when it comes to curating a classroom library. And that is the cost of it. You know, I remember seeing some of these beautiful libraries and I'm like, I cannot afford to buy that many 10, 15, $20 books for my classroom library. I don't make anything as a, as a school teacher. And so what are some suggestions that you have for teachers who want to do this, but don't want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a classroom library? So I have a ton of ideas about this because when I first started teaching, I did spend all of that money on my classroom library. And then I started to learn about other places where you could get books besides your local bookstore, which is an amazing venue, but you might only be able to afford to get one or two of those $15, $20 books a year of those really, those amazing books that come out. So the first thing I want you to do is ask for donations from family, friends, online. So spread the word that you are building a classroom library and And, you know, give some parameters of what you're looking for, but then don't worry, you can curate those books. And if you get books that aren't appropriate, you can donate them to either like a different level, grade level in your school, or you can donate them into a little free library. I know if if you guys Google little free library, there's a ton of them in the States and in Canada. So there's always places for your books. So first ask for donations. The next is shop thrift stores. So every time my husband and I go to a new place, we try to build in time to go to a thrift store. And the thrift stores usually have books for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. And you can get some fantastic books because I think parents, you're a parent, Caitlin, and I'm sure as your child develops, you just keep getting rid of all of those things. So there's so many parents that are spring cleaning all the time. And when their kids outgrow those books, they donate them to thrift stores. Another thing would be to shop discount stores. So there are discount stores that you can, there's online discount stores and in-person discount stores. Think about like liquidation places where you can get books for a great price. And lastly, don't discount those monthly scholastic flyers. I see some teachers that don't look at them, but they have great one and $2 deals every month. So that's another thing. And then when your students um, sign up for Scholastic and they buy books through that um, flyer that you send out home every month, then you get points back and you can use those to buy books for your classroom. I love all of those. So ask for donations, which I think is great. 
shop at thrift stores, thrift stores. We have this cute little local, um, bookstore, I guess it's a used bookstore and I can get all kinds of amazing young adult books for, like you said, $2. And I, when I taught fifth grade for that one year, I like stocked up on all of, I took all of their fifth grade level, um, books that they had and then shop at discount stores. I love that. And then use scholastic flyers. And there is one other thing that I want to add to that worked really well for me is my students were always either, you know, just from the area that I, I came, that I worked in, my students always had books that their parents bought for them outside of school. So they always had something from the bookstore that they'd just gotten. And so I asked them, you know, after you read it, if your book, if this book is just going to sit on a shelf at home and collect dust or never be opened again by somebody else, can you bring it into our classroom and just donate it to our class library? And so I had plenty of students do that who would finish their book at home. Like for example, The Hate You Give, one of my students might buy that on their own, read it in class and then be finished with it. They would then donate it to our class library. And that was such a great way for bringing in new young adult novels into our class that would have been like those books that I could only buy one, two, three of over the course of the school year, I was now able to have my, my students donate them to our class library. And so I love that too, because it gave them so much of kind of ownership and like um, really involvement and investment in helping build this classroom community of readers, you know? That's fantastic. I love that. And one more thing as we're talking, I remembered, is usually your local library, they have a discarding um, season sec, or sorry, like they have a schedule for discards. So check your local library and often they have either a yearly book sale or a bi, um, bi-yearly book sale, biannual, <laughs> holiday. Twice a year. <laughs> twice a year. They have a twice a year book sale and they often sell them for fantastic prices, sometimes even um, a bag of, of books for a certain amount. Um, and also my local library um, has my public library um, in my community, they have a shelf where you can, for a dollar, you can just pick up their discards. That's awesome. That's great to know. Very cool. So as we kind of wrap things up here, we've talked about, you know, what a classroom library is, why we need classroom libraries, how to find great books for our libraries. What is, you know, just kind of like the overarching theme or message that you want our listeners to take away from listening to today's podcast episode? just that classroom libraries are powerful when used effectively. If you just let the books sit on the shelf, you never talk about them, you never present them to your students, it's an ineffective classroom library. But when you constantly refer back to your classroom library and you are excited about the books you're putting in there, it will do wonders for your classroom. Yes. And there are so many great ideas online for how to do that and get kids excited about the books that are in your classroom. And maybe that's a whole separate podcast episode that you and I do together about how to use your classroom library effectively. Now that we know the power of it, right? Maybe we can schedule it after we get off of the interview. Now, how to use it effectively. I love that. I think that's really important. Um, Okay. So I'm going to ask you five quick fire questions here at the very end. These are just our interview questions that we ask everybody. So it's the first thing that comes to mind. It's just silly and it's fun. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So the first question is, if you could travel anywhere, where would you go? Paris. Love Paris. Have you been before? No, I haven't. Oh, it's really, it's a special city, but make sure you go for like a long period of time. I, t- I went once when I was younger with my parents and I stayed for like a week with them and it was a great amount of time. And then I took my husband back when we were older and we were there for two days and it was overwhelming. It's just a massive city. So spend like five days there for sure. Um, what is your favorite month of the year? July. My birthday's in July. I love it. Everyone says their birthday month for the most part. <laughs> What is your favorite lunch item? French fries. Who doesn't like French fries? French fries. That's a great answer. (laughs) 
Do you have them in like your, do you have a school cafeteria that has them? No, we don't. I just, um, we, uh, if we have a professional development day or you guys call them teacher work days, then often I'll take myself out and I'll get myself a plate of French fries because I can't (laughs) leave during the regular, when kids are at school, you can't leave, right? And go out for lunch. That's just not a luxury teachers have. That is awesome. French fries. That is a fantastic answer. Now I want French fries for lunch. (laughs) What is the last book that you read? Okay. Um, I read the third book in the Rosie Project um, series. So um, that was my last adult book that I read. And how did you like it? Was it good? Would you recommend it? Yeah, it was good. It was a three-part series. So I recommend it. It's a cute, it's a cute series to read. Cool. Awesome. I can link that in the show notes for people too, if you guys are listening and you don't want to forget. Okay. And then the last question, if you weren't a teacher, what would you do? I would be a professional home organizer. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Is your house like perfectly organized? Uh, Sometimes I drive my husband crazy. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That's great. You know what? I'd rather have someone super organized than someone super messy. So, (laughs) all right. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me.